Well, this is the second Sunday in our Heaven on Earth Vision 2020 series. Um, glad to have you here. Glad you're back. Amen. During the course of this series, you know, we have identified our primary vision for 2020, uh, being defined, 2021, being defined as relationship objectives. Uh, because really anything God is able to do in your life, he normally does through people. And so if we, you know, are not relationally skilled, if we've allowed strife and division to separate us, if we are just introverted and prefer our own company, we are eliminating countless channels of blessing it could have used into your life, but even more importantly, that could have been blessed through your life. Relationships have to take the place of priority that God gives them in His Word in the conduct of our daily life. Last Sunday, uh, we focused on the first order of relationships we see in the Word. Under God, of course, your relationship with the Lord is, is the priority. Everything else flows from that. But then your family, your husband, your wife, and children, you know, uh, become the next priority consideration regarding the kind of relationships that the Lord intends. Today, it's about church family, because you go from your family to the place in the body of Christ where God's joined you, and it becomes, the consideration becomes relationships in that family. How do you cultivate them? Uh, what's the process look like? Because much of what you receive in your life is going to be reflective of the relationships that are operational, available to God, in other words. And so uh, next Sunday, you know, when Jim joins me, we're going to be doing relationships with the world that God has put us in. Uh, but today, it's about the church and the church family, your place in it, and what that uh, looks like according to the Word of God. Uh, before I introduce our guest today, I should say that, you know, one of the most important things to me about people that work for me or with me, um, you know, other than or beside from, above, you know, natural skill, natural ability, uh, whatever their natural gifting may be, far more important is whether or not someone's hungry for the Lord. Hunger for the Lord is the most desirable characteristic, uh, you know, in terms of employees that I can think of. Because if somebody is truly hungry for God, that's what they think about, long for, to know more about Him, to experience Him. That's the easiest person in the world to manage. Because, you know, if they get off track a little bit, and everybody does, but one occasion to the next. Uh, the matter of correcting or helping someone correct back on, a track, on track is really simplified, you know, when that occasion is needed. If they're hungry for God, let's take a little bitty nudge because all they want is the Lord and to please Him and to be, you know, glorifying Him. You know, there are a lot of other Christians that love God a lot. Uh, but they're, they're caught up in all of the natural considerations and challenges and 
in things, and sometimes they need a, you need to be kind of blunt with them. Uh, but somebody that's hungry for God, you know, just a little nudge, and whatever the case is, and they're going to find the path that God's called them to because they don't stop looking. And uh, I'm happy to say that our guest speaker this morning, my grandson, Jamie, Pastor St. Paul, is... He's the hungriest guy for God I know of. Would you welcome him to the pulpit as he comes to share the word? <laughs> you are indeed a cute boy. I'm a cute boy? <laughs> wow. I said wow. a cute boy. You said a cute boy. He's, he's, he's a cute guy, don't you think? I think he's a cute guy, so we're, I come from cute guys, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Guys, um, wow. Wow. I love this. I love seeing, we have our St. Paul family here with us. Can you please welcome our St. Paul people? V, I love your hair. Just amazing. Amazing. It's good for everybody to hear this and good for everyone. I said this in the 9 a.m., but one thing I love about the legacy I come from is that my favorite thing about him, about Pastor Mac Hammond, is he will always stand for exactly what he believes. You have to give him all of that. And I come from that same line. We come from a line of people who, the second we are told not to talk about something, we're probably going to talk about it every <laughs> single time. And I'm just so honored to be here with you. I've loved this whole weekend. I've loved this whole weekend, being a team with you. And it's good for us just to see St. Paul here with us, because this is one church, this is one family, this is one spiritual family. And when Jesus, it's... It's clear when he really is telling us what it means to be a spiritual family, he's really talking about identity, that to some people who have received their identity from a lie, he says your father is the devil, being that your father is the father of lies, but what makes us a spiritual family is all of our identities were birthed from the God who told us that as Jesus is, so are we in this world, and we can all, no matter our political views in this room, we can all unite under this fact that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Is anybody grateful today that what unites us is always greater than what divides us, and so we can be in this room together, and honestly, I'm obsessed with you guys. I really am, and I love the opportunity to be here. My countdown started, so I'm going to get going really, really quick. Last night, <laughs> last night, we had a little bit of a miscommunication, and I preached for like, I even tapered my message down, and I preached 58, uh, 58 minutes. Could have gone way longer, but I guess it's supposed to be a 20-minute me and 20-minute him, and so Grandpa didn't really get to say anything. Um, but it's cool. I can make it happen in 20 minutes. Today, all we're talking about is Jesus' heart for you. It's all we're going to talk about because, honestly, it's all that you need. You don't need anything more, honestly. You could find every single answer that you're looking for in simply the heart of Jesus for you. 
the diet of the priests in the Old Testament was the shoulder of the sacrificial lamb and the heart of the sacrificial lamb because your spiritual diet as a priest, as a minister of God will always be the heart of the lamb and the shoulder of the lamb. It will be the strength of the lamb and the love of the lamb. I know sometimes it's hard to reconcile power and love because a lot of us have been hurt by power, but this is a kind of power that none of us have really witnessed in that it is a power that does not step on you to lead you. It is a power that lifts, that puts itself underneath you and lifts you up in order to serve you, that it does not abuse you and step on you in order for you to agree with it. It says, even if you disagree with me, I will put myself underneath you and I will serve what you want. John chapter 13, we're looking at Jesus's heart for you, which is also included in his strength. We're talking about what it means to serve each other as a family. And honestly, this is really the only message I probably ever need. We could read this every single week and it would change your life every single time if you really see what's happening here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, everyone say his hour. Think about this. This is the hour of the king. He's already blown our expectations out of the water and the fact that we thought a king would come in a palace and in a crib but instead he's born in a cave in a stone built that looks like the same thing he will actually lay down in after he is uh after he's crucified at the cross because this king is born to die that we may live and it's an astounding thing. And it's a thing that is so hard for people in that time and in ours to understand that this Jesus does not come as you think a God would. He does not come and take his, because they all think he's going to take the throne from Rome. He's going to take the throne from Caesar. But what they don't realize is that when he knew his hour had come, it was that he would take his throne through death and resurrection they don't understand that he's not going to take it as they expected him to take it. He's actually going to go to the cross where he will put on a crown of thorns instead of a crown of gold. This is what he chooses, a crown of thorns. You remember right after man falls, it, God says that cursed is the ground. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread and it will produce thorns for you. So the thorns were a symbol of the curse that comes by our work, that sometimes all of our self-effort, you ever notice this in your own life, that you can give so, you can go so hard, but it seems like maybe it just doesn't come back the way that I expected it to, but all of this is really found in the fact that Jesus' blood redeems you from whatever it touches. What's the first thing that Jesus' blood touches? Sweat, because Jesus' blood has redeemed us from the curse of sweating for blessings. Aren't you grateful today that I'm not sweating like I'm living in Egypt anymore, that I live a life of rest, and the fight that I fight today is a fight of faith. I believe and I choose this kingdom now. All the promises that exist in this room today, I want to remind you, it's not something we're waiting for on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It will be there, but I recommend that you choose it today because today is where we're at currently. And you can have it now. And you should have it now. And you do have it now. <laughs> so he knowing that his hour had come, 
knowing that it was the hour of the king. What does this king do? He had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So, (laughs) knowing that his hour had come, by the way, there will always be a side plot of the devil. And it's such an ironic thing, because the devil doesn't even know that, that the intention he's putting in the heart of Judas Iscariot is actually the very thing that gives Jesus the place to take his throne. So, and so, and so it's just such an amazing thing that Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, is actually choosing to embrace a person he knows is going to betray him. But what he knows about this betrayal is that even this betrayal will set him up for the very thing that he is destined to do. And so watch what he does in verse 3, knowing there is someone in the room who is looking to betray him, knowing that all power is in his hands, knowing that this is his hour, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is the gospel right here, verse 4. Oh. He rose from supper. He gets up from the entertainment, and I'm sure it was amazing. I'm sure Peter was probably saying a bunch of really drastic things. I'm sure there's a lot going on. Thomas is probably being extremely honest. Like, we always bag on Thomas, but honestly, Thomas, come doubting Thomas. Honestly, he's just kind of honest Thomas, really. That's really what he is. Yeah, yeah, we got an honest Thomas in the front row right here. Honest Thomas, honest Thomas, honest Thomas, honest Thomas. He laid aside his, (sighs) it takes my breath away, man. Knowing that he has all power, this king knowing that he has all authority, He strips himself of his outer garment, which is a symbol of status because a servant didn't wear their outer robes when they waited at a table. Knowing he has all power, he can do whatever he wants to do. What does he want to do? He takes off his outer garment, his status, and he puts on a towel And he lowers himself, lowers what we think lowers, lowers himself to the place of a servant. By the way, this is why the first martyr in the book of Acts, his name was Stephen. You remember what he did? He was the chief waiter of tables. He waited tables. Yet he's the first one to reflect the image of this Jesus. He's the actual, he's the first one to completely, remember he completely, he reflects Jesus in the fact that he is stoned to death, but he says the same thing that Jesus says in that, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen understood something when he waited tables. He takes on the same image of who he really is in Jesus. Because say you're new to church and you're like, I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. Honestly, if you trust in this, this is really the picture of your true self. Your real self that is to, it takes a trust 
to access and walk in this, but it is a true self that exists and is available for all to believe in. It's available for all. Every single person in this room, this is your true self. Because see, it's good for us to understand that when we're talking about serving, I can only serve you to the same degree that I allow myself to be served. I can only embrace you to the same degree that I allow God to embrace me. So we can't even talk about me serving you until, until I understand how served I am. Because it's not until I realize how served I am do I realize that my greatest desire is actually to serve you. And actually, the only way I would be afraid of serving you is if I thought your, feed, your freedom was a compromise to my freedom. But what I'm so grateful for today is that my freedom does not compromise yours and yours does not compromise mine. Oh, baby, that we can be free. Oh, baby, that we can be free together. And your freedom does not make me small, and my freedom does not make you small. As a matter of fact, I pray that your freedom this year would be so offensive to everybody who's not free that everybody would say, you know what, I think I want that freedom. As a matter of fact, you're just living in everything I actually want. Because we all want it. We all want freedom. We all want the same thing. Have you ever wondered what it was like that they were all of one accord? They were all of one accord. They wanted the same thing. And the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They were of one accord. They wanted the same thing. Could you ever imagine everyone in this room actually wants the same thing? Even the thing about Judas, Judas wants something different than the disciples just because he honestly doesn't understand what he, he doesn't understand what he's doing. You can see that when he, when Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I, I betrayed innocent blood. Like I, I didn't even know what I was doing. Father, forgive them for they know not. They know not what they do. Jesus, knowing there is a person in the room who set out to betray him. He laid aside his status and he took a towel and tied, around, tied it around his waist. Verse five. I love how John writes it because John, I almost imagine tears in his eyes as he writes it. He's writing everything so detailed. It's like, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that wrapped him. He, he washes their feet with his own clothes. Verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you really gonna wash my feet? Really? Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. I'm gonna move into this. We're talking about serving each other. We're talking about really what love is. Honestly, for a long time, it was really hard for me to serve people because I don't really trust, I didn't trust what you all wanted. I didn't trust what other people want. Honestly, it's hard to believe someone would want the same thing for me. Let's be honest, let's, let's be blatantly honest. Why it's hard to lay myself down 
before someone is, I'm afraid maybe what, are you gonna manipulate me? Are you gonna, when I lower myself, are you gonna take advantage of me? But what Jesus shows us is that when you actually lower yourself, you are putting yourself in the place of power. We find this in Egypt, that it is always the weaker one, it is the lesser that will try and suppress something. The only reason you have to push something down is because you're afraid of it. It's the same reason that the Egyptians made the Israelites slaves. They, based on a theoretical, said, what if these people, they're growing so big, what if they join an army and they fight against us? So what they do is they suppress these people that they had once embraced. And when they had embraced the Israelites at first, their nation flourished. But now what they had once embraced became something that was so big, they're afraid if we embrace it, you're going to abuse us if we embrace you. That's what, the, that's what the Egyptian state of mind says. It says that if I embrace you, you're gonna hurt me. They hadn't hurt the Egyptians up until this point. Honestly, they have no heart to hurt the Egyptians. They're not trying to hurt the Egyptians, but isn't it interesting that the Egyptians' worst fear came, th came true because they le leaned into a fear and how they thought to overcome and lead this thing was by suppressing it. But when you suppress something in order to lead it, you actually give it power over you because it will always be what comes underneath you. That is how the upside down kingdom works. You think that the one who goes boom is the one who is in power, but in reality, it is the one who says, I will actually serve you and you transcend every single thing that has ever tried to oppress you. Because even if they're trying to step on you, like Judas, Jesus puts himself underneath Judas, who's actually trying to manipulate Jesus. Jesus, knowing Judas is trying to manipulate him, lowers himself underneath Judas, still washes his feet because Jesus knows that even in me serving someone who does not know they want the same thing as me, yet they, they apparently want something different for me, they want to hurt me, even then, what they've designed to hurt me is actually the very thing that has been designed to put me in my place of destiny. It's not Peter that's going to put me there. It's not John who's going to put me there. It's the one that I embrace that actually is not for me. Oh, it's the one that's not, the one that doesn't think the same way as everyone else is actually the one that put me in my place of destiny. And so what's so amazing about this is you might look around in this room and you might say, you know, these people are so different than me. I don't like any of them. They don't like me. But honestly, even if you still serve them and they had a bad intention towards you, that's the best thing for you because what we call betrayal always ends up actually working for a greater good for you. Every single time someone intends to hurt you, really what, what's so amazing, and the whole battle is lots of time when you think Someone's trying to hurt you, you try to fight them, you know, you try to like, who can step on the other one, but then you just end up actually perpetuating the thing that you were afraid of. And you say, I'm still going to wash Judas's feet. And so in this room today, I'm going to pass this off to my grandfather in a moment. This is a spiritual family that whether you know it or not, we all want the same thing. I want you to be free because I am free. If you don't want me to be free, I question your freedom. 
I really do. I, I do. At the same time, like, like for us to look around and say, well, I don't know if I want you to be free, then, then you're not free indeed until you really understand I want freedom for you. We cannot, dis here's the thing about relationships, you cannot disconnect your relationship with God vertically from your people horizontally. It is always a reflection of the same. How you treat people is how you believe God treats you. That is period, that's what it is. So we can't say that I love God and I know God loves me if I hate you. If I don't want freedom for you, it's because I don't understand God's heart for me. That's the only way. So that's why I can stand up here and be so bold and just feel so free in front of you because honestly, your true self is obsessed with me. It is. Really. Because <laughs> I'm obsessed with you. My wife, you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got one in the front row right there who's obsessed with me, though. I just want to say, my wife, I am more in love with my wife than I've ever been before, and it's been so great. For my Chan Behan, yes, goes to our church. I love him so much, man. Look at that beautiful, oh, he's so beautiful, dude. Okay, that being said, my time is up. My time is up, but as we move forward into this, I just want to remind us that we all want the same thing here. I want you free. I want every person in this room to be so free. Again, I hope in 2020 for the rest of the year that your freedom is so offensive to the people who are not. And honestly, the only reason they hate you is because they ain't you. Because the whole reason they would not want you to be free is because if I'm not free, you can't be either. But if I'm free, you can be free too. We can all be free together. We can all step into what we want because we all want the same thing. So what I am so grateful for is a pastor who wants everyone in this room to be free. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this with you, grateful to be a part of this family. And so with that, I'm going to hand it off to my wonderful, beautiful, cute <coughs> grandfather. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm cute. He's so cute. Well, um, thank you, Jamie. Um, basically, Jamie is making the point that you really do want to serve other people, and the essence of your understanding is important because that's what Jesus came to do. We are to emulate him, and emulating him means recognizing who we really are. Because if you're saved, you're spiritually alive unto God, you've been recreated in His image and likeness, and that is the real you because it is the eternal you. But remember that we live in a temporal world, a different arena of truth that sometimes confuses some people, okay, in Christ I'm healed, delivered, set free, prosperous, but maybe you don't see any of those things in the natural world you live in. Uh, one realm is temporal, which literally means subject to change. The other realm is eternal, the real you, who you are in Christ, the new creation you became when you were born again is the real you. And you might think, well, I sure wish, you know, something were different in the natural arena, Bible says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but, but you know, I know how I act, I know how I think, I don't feel very righteous. 
Well, here's the key. All of the things that the grace of God makes us in Christ have to be received by faith. And when you really believe you're healed, because it says in the Word that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, therefore you are healed. And so when you accept that by faith, it changes the natural temporal reality to line up with the real you. When you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when you actually receive that by faith, your behavior will begin changing in this natural world. Because that's the realm that's temporal, subject to change. The real you lives and inhabits the eternal realm, which is the dominant truth when you invest your believing in it. And so the real you as Jamie said in one of these two services, wants to serve. You want to be a blessing to people. The real you wants to see other people free, blessed, prospering, growing. The real you will serve the purpose of God in their life the best you can. And the place that those things are to have their outworking, the place that you are to learn how to serve, And what that actually means is the local church. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, Jesus is talking about the body of Christ. It's not one, but many. And then he talks about ears and eyes and feet and hands and, you know. uh, But he's saying there that every body part in the body of Christ has a particular place that it belongs. I mean, everybody's not an ear. Everybody's not an eye. A body, according to the part of the Pauline Revelation that says we can understand truth about the spiritual body of Christ by using the human body as an example. So, you know, you had not got four eyes and one ear and three feet. You know, um, there's a place for you in the body of Christ, that it pleases God to put you. And that is the company of believers that you identify with and feel called to be a part of. And it's important that you find that place because it's there that you're calling what defines you. Lots of folks don't know if they're an eye, an ear, a little finger, or a toenail. They haven't got a clue what they are in the body of Christ. Uh, Well, when you do find that out, And there are ways we as the church uh, can assist you in making that discovery. Uh, But when you find that out, then you take your place. And this begins to describe your way of serving. And so we're going to be having classes here uh, during the course of this year on spiritual gifting. You know, because this really does begin to define how you serve. Uh, Of course, I'm speaking of the gifting in Romans 12. Uh, They've been called motive gifts in the past, and I've done teaching on these uh, motive gifts several times over the last decades, but we're going to begin doing this with more regularity during the course of a year so people can begin understanding how they fit. They may know where they fit, but they don't exactly know how they fit. And it's from the strength of that gifting uh, that you will begin to 
serve other people. Service being the way that we approach the matter of relationships. You know, you produce successful relationships uh, by conducting them the way Jesus conducted his relationship to us. He served us. We gave him our heart. You serve somebody else, they'll give you a piece of their heart. Serving other people is how we begin connecting. And it's only through relationships that the Lord can move in your life the way he wants to move. You know, channels of blessing flowing either way. And so understanding that there is a gift in you and understanding that that gift is how you serve takes us to Ephesians 4.16, which um, says, uh, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. That means there's no schism, no division, no contention, no controversy, one heart, one mind. That's another way of saying it. Fitly joined together and compacted, driving out division and schism. And then it goes on to say that that happens by every joint or member supplying, making a supply. You have something to supply to the body where God has called you. And your faithfulness to make that supply is actually what drives out the things that divides us and brings us to that place of power that we have in one accord. By making your supply. You can't supply something you don't have. Do you have any time? Of course you do. That's something you can supply. Do you have any prayer capacity? Of course you do. That's something you can supply. Do you have any money? Yes, you do. And that's something you make a supply of. Do you have any natural gifting? Yes, you do. That's something you can make a supply of. And so understanding that when each of us takes the resource of our life that God has entrusted us with and turns it into a blessing to his body, we're talking about relationships within the church, then it'll have the dramatic effect of bringing about unity and harmony, no schism, no division. But there's another little addendum here, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Everybody here, supposed to do a little work. Say, work? (laughs) No, that's a fact. Now, a lot of people work themselves into a frustration, you know, and just say, oh, I'm not going back to church anymore. That's not working effectually. When you work effectually, you don't burn yourself out. You get fed and strong, filled up, excited, passionate about what God's got you doing when you work effectually. Working effectually means you work from the strength of your gifting. In Romans 12, it talks about the different gifts, you know, uh, serving, organizational, giving is one, prophecy, doesn't mean you're a prophet, 
It means there is a gift to take the Word of God. To prophesy means to proclaim the Word. To take the Word of God and proclaim it in a way that is anointed enough for somebody to see it or get it or understand it. And, you know, these are all gifts that uh, each of us function primarily in one. You might minor in a second. And we're all called to do these things, but there are some that are gifted in these areas. Exhortation is a good example. That's one of these, uh, you know, spiritual gifts that believers are granted. And, you know, we're all to encourage one another, to be a source of encouragement uh, to others, others around us. But every now and then you come across somebody that is functioning uh, in their gifting. And you can tell the difference. I mean, it's nice to be encouraged by anybody on any level. But somebody that's, uh, you know, greeting out front, that knows what they're doing, and they're called uh, and anointed to encourage and exhort people, they put their arm around you, and it's like you get supernaturally pumped up. And you really do. Because that's the power of that anointing on their gifting changing your ability to see life in the way you should see it. So these gifts functioning are what make you effectively work. When you don't know what your gifting is and you just fill in a, fill in a square and changing diapers in the nursery or something, you'll burn yourself out real quick and, uh, you know, you might even get a little cynical about the whole deal. But when you understand where you're called and anointed and gifted, it flows with the desire of your heart normally or it will begin changing the desire of your heart to accommodate it because that's simply where you are effective. So we are to effectually work according to the gift of God in us. And when we do, then it's a supernatural thing because that... That anointing or power operates through that gifting and it just changes things. So there, uh, therefore, you know, it's my goal to do something about uh, people becoming more involved in church. Not me to do something, but my gifting, encouraging you to start doing something. And it's not got anything to do with, I mean, obviously it benefits the church when uh, we're able to mobilize volunteers to do every, everything that needs doing. Before COVID, you know, to run our uh, ministry for a week took 1,500 volunteers. If we're going to, you know, not going to work everybody every weekend and they only have to work twice or three times a month, it takes 1,500 volunteers to run what we do around here a week. With COVID, uh, you know, we're, we're using lot, lots and lots of staff because, you know, people have been staying home. It's time to normalize, folks. It is time to do what God spoke to me personally a couple of weeks ago and at least start acting like we got a covenant. Amen. And begin functioning in the ways that the Lord has called us to function. Not irresponsibly, not stupidly. You know, if you are in an at-risk demographic, then, you know, wear a mask, 
social distance, whatever you need. But don't let the enemy lock you away from relationships because that is where life is. Amen. And that's where we've got to go. And it says when every member works effectually in the measure of every part, it makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, unto the edifying or building up of our capacity to love the community we've been placed in. Our capacity to be built up in love, to be able to flow in that love of God, which is where freedom lies for every human being. It says for us to be built up in that way, you know, the increase of the body has to occur. You have to increase. Individually, we have to increase numerically. More people we got in here, the more we can send out to love our community. We need to increase financially because it takes dollars to do anything. No matter what it is. So increase is something we want. It enables the capacity uh, for the love of God to flow through us into the community. That's dependent on every member, every part working effectually, understanding their gifting and their anointing and plugging in there and beginning to serve in all of the different arenas of service that, that you know, one of which fits them. And then, of course, that very process is what compacts us together, drives us together, eliminates the possibility for division, schism, and we can truly function as the body of Christ individually and corporately. So this weekend, the part of our 2021 vision that is uh, really big in my heart is to help people identify their spiritual gifting identify uh, how they can serve in line with that gifting, and then to bring volunteerism back into manifestation in this part of the body of Christ and to see people working together because that's where relationships get solidified and change can come to your life. You want to be in relationship with somebody? Serve them. And when they begin returning the service in whatever way they can. It's not a legalistic thing. It just flows. You want to help somebody, help them. And that will make them want to help you in some way or other. But when it is a formalized plan to serve in a body, you fit in a particular place. Plug in there, work effectually, and we'll see dramatic things occur from that posture of being one heart, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel.